Amen. Morning, church. My name is Raph. I am the student pastor here at Journey Church, if you don't know me. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you this morning on this uh, Daylight Savings Day uh, second service. It occurred to me that if you're in this room, you were either woke up this morning and realized you were really early or really late. Whichever, I'll let you decide which one it is, that's fine, but thank you uh, for coming here regardless. Um, we're in the middle of a series called I Am, and uh, it's a series about identity in which we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And when I say identity, it's, it's about uh, the identity that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about who, who you think you are or who the world says you are or, or even who, who you see sometimes when you look in the mirror, but who, who the God of the Bible says you are. That's, that's what this series is all about. And, and uh, one of the things that the Apostle Paul says um, about us in Ephesians chapter 2 is that we are saved. And so uh, if you're taking notes, that's the title of the message today, I am saved. I am saved. Um, uh, before we jump in, I've got a, a, just a quick story and an illustration to show you. I think I've got a picture that will be up on the screens. But that work of art right there, that masterpiece is uh, done by my daughter, Narai. She's four years old. And, uh, and I'm a crazy guy like this, like with the hands, the orange guy. She's, uh, she said she's the one smiling, and my youngest, Gigi, is the one who's crying. But in reality, it's the opposite. So she's got some revisionist history going on. But, but uh, basically, the, the, uh, the story behind this is uh, over the summertime. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you, she titled this picture, um, The Day Daddy Saved My Life. So the story behind that is over the summer, we were at uh, my father-in-law's house in North Carolina. He lives on a lake. And uh, Narai, she's, she's definitely afraid of water. And so uh, my, my wife decided to take the girls out on the, on the rowboat first thing in the morning. He's got a little, like, just paddle boat. Um, and so they get down, and she agrees to go, and, and they, they get in the boat. And I'm still at the house at this point. But uh, apparently this is one of those boats that's got a plug in the middle. I guess you can take it out to drain the boat if water comes in. Well, the plug was out. So they get in, and water starts coming in the boat, and she starts screaming instantly, like bloody murder. So I hear her from the house, and I come running down. I'm like, what's going on? And she's freaking out, and my wife's got my, the youngest in her hand. And so the boat's still, like, floating in front of the dock. I mean, it's not that dire of a situation, but in her mind it is. And so she's freaking out, so I kind of straddle, like, the, the dock and the boat, and I pick her up and bring her to safety on dry land. And um, in, in her mind, again, this is the, the day that I saved her life. They continued on with their paddling boat. She stayed in the safe, on safe land with daddy. Uh, but I, I share that story for a couple of reasons. I, I love that story. A, because I'm the hero in it, right? <laughs> we don't want to be a hero in a story. That's awesome. Uh, but, but also, um, I, I think um, we all love a good rescue story, right? Like something about a, a rescue story resonates with us. It's, it's why a lot of the movies we watch or the television shows have rescue themes. It's why when, the, when a firefighter comes out of a burning uh, building with a, with a child, we all cheer, right? When, when, when there's something bad happening and, and the police show up and everybody's okay, we, we cheer. When, the, when the, the army, the soldiers show up and they liberate the people who are being oppressed by, by, by a, a tyrant or, or an evil ruler, right, we get excited about that. We see these people who are in a terrible fate, someone in a dire situation, and, and um, they can't rescue themselves, right? They're, they're doomed. At least it seems like it. They've got, they've got a death sentence hanging over them. They're, they're, their life is hanging in the balance, and then someone swoops in and saves them, rescues them. That, that kind of does something in our hearts. It resonates with us, and, and I tell you that because uh, I want you to know that that's the heart of God, and, and we were made in the image of God, and so it echoes in our own hearts, so we, we, we love a good rescue story, and, and that really is the story of the Bible. Um, it's it's the, the greatest rescue story ever told. 
And, and uh, what we need to understand is that whether we're aware of it or not, all of us at one point in, in our lives, if not now, we were in that, that same position where our lives were hanging in the balance, where there was a death sentence hanging over us, and we can't save ourselves. We, we can't do it on our own. We needed someone to come in from the outside and save us, someone to, to rescue us. And so, again, that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. And, and so that's where we're going to be tonight, uh, this morning, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read the, the whole thing, Ephesians uh, 1 to 10, uh, chapter 2, 1 to 10, and then uh, we'll come back and, and pick it apart a little bit. So, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazing passage of scripture there. Um, just, just some context really quickly. It's important to note that the Apostle Paul here is, is talking to Christians. In this letter that he's written to the church in, in Ephesus, uh, he's, he's, he's talking to people who have made the decision to put their faith in Jesus, who've decided to follow him. And that's important to note because in order to accept Paul's claim that you've been saved, you must first acknowledge that you were in danger, right? That, that you needed a, a savior to begin with. And so when, uh, when we talk about salvation uh, this morning, I, I want you to see it uh, with this perspective. Uh, we, we are saved in the past. We are saved in the present and we're saved in the future. We're saved in the past, the present, and the future. In, in the past, we're saved from the penalty of sin. So, so when Christ went to the cross for us, he died the death that we should have died, and he, and he suffered the punishment that we should have suffered. He paid the, the debt that we should have paid. And so what that means is um, if, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, uh, there's no penalty for your sin anymore. God, God uh, does not punish you when you sin. Now, there may be consequences for your sin. That's, that's a different thing entirely, okay? But that's not, that's not God punishing you uh, because God punished. Jesus took, took all the punishment that, that we'll ever need uh, on the cross. He, he finished it with him. So we're saved in the past from the penalty of sin. In the present, okay, practically speaking here and now, we're, we're saved from the power of sin in this life. We're saved from the power of sin. We were, uh, before Jesus, we were living a life of sin, and then Jesus gave us a new life. And, and, and with that, he put the Holy Spirit in us, so now we can live by a new power, God's power, okay? The, the Holy Spirit in us. That means the power of God in us is greater than the temptation uh, around us. For, for Christians, this is how we start saying um, no to sin and yes to, to God. Okay, this is how we walk. We step out of disobedience and into obedience. It's by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then in doing that, uh, we are being saved from the power of sin. That's why I love the testimony videos we've been, we've been playing um, in, this, in this series. Uh, hopefully you've, you've found those encouraging as I have. Because really, um, it, to a certain extent, it's all of our stories. 
I mean, they, they all vary differently. We've got our own situations going on, but the essence of all of them is, hey, I used to be this guy, and now I'm over here. I used to have this addiction. I used to not be able to shake this thing. I used to think this way and feel this way, and I thought I'd always be stuck here, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm like this. I don't think that way anymore. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't have that desire anymore. That's, that's our story. We, we've got a, a, a saying around here. Uh, it's actually one of our values as a church, growing people change. Growing people change. And what that means is that it is impossible to follow Jesus Christ and stay the same. He won't leave you that way. He's constantly growing you and, and, and changing you. And, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that, that does that. So um, we're, in the past, we're saved from the penalty of sin. In the present, we're saved from the power of sin. And then in the future, we will be saved forever from the presence of sin. The presence of sin. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis tells us that God created the world and everything in it. And he said it was good. Matter of fact, he said it was, it was very good, meaning there was, there was no sin. There was no sickness, no suffering, no, no disease, no decay, no, no death. Everything was perfect. It was the world that deep down in our hearts I think we all long for, the world the, the way it was intended to be. Then in Genesis chapter 3, um, sin enters the world and it infects and it affects everyone and everything in it. And so now we can't escape the presence of sin here on earth. We see it everywhere, too. Even the, uh, the holiest among us are still very much aware of, of the, the presence of sin in our lives and in our hearts. But the Bible says there will come a day. There will come a day when we, too, will rise just like Jesus rose and sin will be no more. There'll, there'll be no more suffering, no sickness. There'll be no death, no devastation, no destruction, no Satan, no demons, no injustice, no tyranny, no, no evil. It will be the world as God created it to be before it was corrupted by sin. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of, of God, we will be saved forever from the presence of sin. So Paul tells us that Christians have been saved in the past, are being saved, present tense, and will be saved in the future. And then he anticipates, as a, a good pastor uh, probably should, that the people will have questions. Maybe even some of the same questions that some of you have today. And so I'm going to try and answer some of those. Uh, specifically, uh, three questions we're going to look at today. And the first one is this. Saved from what? Saved from what? Because if you were to ask me uh, before I knew Jesus, before I met Jesus, if you were to go back eight, nine years to 26-year-old Raph and said, hey, are you saved? Do you, do you want to be saved? Have you been saved? My response would have been, saved from what? Saved from what? Like, what are you talking about? Because at that time, I really liked my life. Had a good job. I'm making good money. I've got lots of great friends, uh, an amazing family, like good relationships. I, I, my life was pretty fun. Are you going to save me from all this fun I'm having? Are you going to save me from my awesome life? Save from what is, is the question. And so I think we've got to look back at that scripture. Uh, specifically, we'll see what Paul says in, in the first three verses uh, that we are saved from. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so, so Paul says that those of us who are in Christ, that, that, that are in Jesus, we're safe from six things, he points out in these three verses, and we're going to go through them one by one. Um, but conversely, he, he's saying if you are not in Christ, if you do not, do not know and love Jesus, then these six, six things still explain your eternity, your, their, your eternal existence. There's still a death sentence hanging over you unless something significant changes. And so let's, let's look at these things. Number one, um, he says, and you were dead. 
It's death. It's talking about death. As we talked about a few moments ago, death is the result of sin. And, and, and uh, that's why in the kingdom of God, we will not die because we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And so death will no longer exist. So th- think of it this way. If you've got a cell phone, um, you plug it in, right? That's how it gets powered up. You leave for the day, you unplug it, and, and some of you, maybe you get a, uh, what, a half a day, maybe you get a day. Some of you have been really blessed, you still get a day and a half out, charge out of your phone. Uh, I remember those days. But, but then eventually what happens? It dies, right? It, it dies. It's, it's no longer connected to the source of power. You and I are like that. We're not independent beings. We are dependent beings. And so uh, we're made by the living God. And when we sin against him, it's as if, it's as if we're unplugging from the source of life. We're, we're unplugging. And, and the result is we're still alive, but we're in the cycle of death. We're in the cycle of death. We're on the way down, and eventually we die because we're no longer connected to the source. That, that's how the Bible explains our condition. That's why it's so important for, for you to understand that Jesus did not come down from heaven to make bad people good. Jesus did, did not, he did not go to the cross so that you could become a better person. Jesus sacrificed himself so that dead people can come to life. It's, it, he's talking about life and death. Life and death hangs in the, in the balance here. And so this is a warning from Paul. It's, it's a warning. If, if you are not in Christ, you may be alive physically, but spiritually you're dead. And you still have that, that penalty hanging over your head. And, and, and quite frankly, we don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you, which, which maybe that's why he has you here today, so that he can bring you from, from death to life. First thing Paul says, we're safe from in Christ, we're safe from death. Number two, in the trespasses and sins. We're safe from trespasses and, and sins. Now, to sin is, is um, to miss the mark, right? It's, it's to miss the mark. It's falling short of God's glorious standard. And, and so sin includes... Um, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our actions, sins of commission, which is when we do bad things, and then sins of omission, which is when we don't do the good things that we know we should do. That's all sin. That's all sin. Um, and, and here Paul, Paul uses the word trespass. I don't know if you've ever seen a sign that says no trespassing. Maybe you were hiking or hunting or just taking a walk, but you see a, a fence that come upon a big sign that says no trespassing, and instantly you know, okay, I can't, I can't go over there. Like right here I'm good, but if I step over there, now I'm trespassing, right? And, and typically when, when we trespass, there are consequences, right, negative consequences. And, and so, so it is with God. His, his word is filled with laws or boundary markers. And, and, and when we cross one, we've trespassed. We've, we've crossed a line. And, and there are consequences for that. So, so let, me, let me ask you this. Where have you trespassed? Where are your sins? And, and I ask it that way specifically because um, many of us, my, myself included, it's a lot easier to recognize their sin than our sin, right? It's a lot easier to point out. If I asked you, man, who has sinned against you? Who has trespassed against you? How have they offended you? You'd be able to rattle off a list. Man, my brother-in-law did this and this. She posted something on Facebook. My boss did, right? We know. We know who sinned against us and trespassed against us. And, and many of us are still holding on to those things. Okay? But, but apply that same reasoning to your relationship with God. C- consider the fact that we've all stepped over the line. That, that we are the ones who have all uh, offended him. We've sinned against him, rebelled against him, disobeyed him. And just as we take it seriously when someone crosses the line with us, so, so too does, does he take it seriously when we trespass against him. There's consequences for that. We are all sinners. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. 
In Christ, Paul says, though, we're saved from our sins and, and trespasses. And number three, he goes on to say, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And what he's talking about here is worldly living. Worldly living. Now, if, if you're a Christian in the room and, and you've ever genuinely tried to follow Jesus, then, then uh, whether it's been for five days or 50 years, you have experienced the tension between, between the way of the world and the kingdom of God. Right? The way the world teaches us to live and, and the way that, that God's word tells us to live. Um, Proverbs 16 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Jesus said himself in, in John 18, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not of this world. We, we just wrapped up a series last Sunday night up in, in student ministry. It was called Be Last. And the heart of that series was from Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 16, where Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And we wrapped it up with this illustration. I had a big ladder on the stage. And the whole point was, hey, the world teaches you to be first, right? The world says, this is how you win. This is how you achieve greatness. This is the key to success. Climb the ladder to the top. Get to the top. Be the best. Be number one. Doesn't matter who you got to climb over or step on to get there. The world says, climb the ladder to the top. But if you look at Jesus and his life and his experience and the things that he taught us, he came down the ladder from heaven to earth in order to elevate us. The last shall be first and the first shall, shall be last. Jesus says, the way of this world is not the way of my kingdom. Matter of fact, he said the, the gate is wide and, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And there's a big wide road and majority of people are on it. And they don't even realize it. It may feel good and look good and it's the easy way. The door's wide open. But there's another way, he says, that the gate is narrow and it, the way is more difficult. It's like you're going against the grain, but this is the kingdom of God. And ultimately, it leads to eternal life. In, in Christ, we're saved from, from worldly living. No, number four, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about Satan and demons. Satan and demons. Now, if we believe in the God of the Bible, then we also have to believe in Satan and his demons. The, the Bible tells us Satan was an angel created by God, uh, but he became proud in his heart, and so he rebelled against God. He started to, to live for himself. He was filled by himself instead of the, the glory of, of God, and ultimately he led a rebellion against God. And now the scriptures tell us that he is at work in the world. He's at work in the world. And so just as God blesses his people, we need to understand that Satan, too, can bless his people. Satan, too, gives good gifts to, to his people. And, and so what that means is um, you can't necessarily look at someone's life who is prospering and say, oh, they're, they're healthy. They've got a lot of money in the bank. They go on vacations whenever they want. They, everything they touch seems to go to turn to gold. Their life seems amazing. God must be blessing them. Well, not necessarily. It very well may be the case that, that it's, it's your enemy, the, the prince of this world who, who is blessing them, who's giving them good gifts. Why? so that he can empower their life uh, in, in a way that others would be enticed towards a life of sin, towards a life of, of folly and rebellion, so that others might look at them and believe the lie that they don't need God. Make no mistake, you have an enemy, and he is very real, and you need to see that he's willing to give you pretty much anything you want as long as he gets what he wants in the end, which is your soul. This isn't to scare anyone, it's, it's just a warning. So warning, be aware, Satan is alive and well, and he is at work in, in the world. That's, that's number four. Number five, he goes on to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. He, here he's referring to our old nature and desires. 
Paul saying, before you met Jesus, you had an old nature, and that old nature is marked by your mind and, and your desires. It means before you're in Christ, your mind does not think the thoughts of God. Our thoughts are independent of God, rebellious against God. Our desires are not God's desires. They're not holy desires. They're, they're unholy. They're not, they're not desires from the Holy Spirit. They're desires that come from our old nature and, and, and the temptations of the world around us. But remember, when you became a Christian, if you become a Christian, Jesus doesn't make you better. He makes you new. He makes you new so you get a new nature. And, and, and along with that nature, new nature causes you to have a new mind. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In, in Jesus Christ, you get a new mind and you start to think differently. And then he also puts new desires in you, deeper desires. And, and, and as your heart begins to align with the heart of God, you start to want the things that he wants. And now this is a process. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, okay, which is, I think, why, why Paul expresses frustration with his own sinfulness in, in Romans chapter 7 when he says, I don't do what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do. And, and what he's referring to, he, he's basically saying, hey, when I, when I sin, I give in to my lesser, weaker desires. But that's not really what I want. That's not really who I want to be. I, that, those aren't the desires that God put in me. And so it's frustrating for me. It's frustrating. And what that tells us, I think, is, is that when you become a Christian, your, your lesser sinful desires don't always just go away. But God does place deeper desires in you. And so I want to encourage you, if you would feed and nurture those, those deeper desires, you know what's going to happen? God will be glorified and you'll be satisfied. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be satisfied as you, as you nurture those deeper desires that God put inside you and he will be glorified ultimately. That's number five. Number six, finally he goes on to say, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here, here he's referring to the wrath of God. Now, by nature, by nature, what's he, what he's saying here is that we're born apart from God, right? You are born separated from God because of, because of your sinful nature, all of us. And, and those of you, most of us, I don't think in the room would disagree with that. We, we, we're aware of sinful nature. Those of you who have little kids, you are painfully aware of, of sinful nature. I, I know it. Um, my kids are constantly giving me new examples. Whenever I do, I talk about sinful nature upstairs with students. Um, uh, it's kind of a running joke, but I never have to repeat the same story twice because my girls are constantly giving me new examples, right? They're keeping it fresh. <laughs> so it's true to form. This week, as I'm preparing the message, uh, my youngest, Gigi, gave me a perfect example, okay? Uh, I got a, a, a call from, from my friend Carrie who watches uh, our girls a couple days a week, and, and uh, she called and said, hey, first of all, I'll preface this way. We're, we're trying to potty train Gigi right now. She's two. We're in the middle of potty training, and it's a nightmare, okay? So fast forward, Carrie calls me and says, hey, I asked Gigi if she needed to go potty, and, and she said no, but then I found her in the closet, and she was peeing all over all her shoes. And <laughs> I'll pause there for a second because some of you might be thinking, well, that's not necessarily a sin. She's two. She's potty training, right? Like, have some grace. She's just a little kid. I get that. But here's the deal. I get home and I talk to her about it um, because Carrie said not only did she pee on her shoes, but she, she put a towel over it. And so I said, Gigi, why did you put a towel over it? And she said, because I was trying to hide it from you. Sinful nature, right? By nature. By nature. We're born this way. Children of what? Wrath. Wrath. Now, God's wrath isn't something we like to talk about very much, is it? I'll be very honest with you. It'd be much easier and more comfortable for me to stand up here and say, God is love. 
God is, God is merciful. God is forgiving. And he is all of those things and more. He really is. But, but we need to be careful not to take one attribute of God and, and make it into God. Because if, if, if God is only sovereign, then everything that happens is his will, and that means he's the author of sin. If, if God is only forgiving, then that means everybody's forgiven and nobody's going to hell. And that's just not true. It's just not the case. That's why Jesus spoke of, of hell and heaven more than anyone in the whole Bible. All the attributes of God work together in concert, simultaneously, uh, continuously. God is a God of mercy and he is a God of justice. God is a forgiving God, but he does not hold back his wrath. Yes, God is love. And because he loves you, he wants you to know that hell is real. And he wants to save you from that fate. So that's what Paul's telling us here in these first three verses. You're saved. You're saved from death to life. We're saved from the identity of a sinner to the identity of a, of a saint. We're saved from worldly living to holy living. From your old nature to, to your new nature. From, from Satan and, and demons to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're, we're saved from children of wrath to children of God. We're saved. Which, which leads to the, to the next question. By what? By what? In other words, how does it work? How, how am I saved? We'll go back to the scripture, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Say, by what? By grace. By grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace is, is, is getting something we do not deserve. That's, that's what grace looks like. Grace is getting something we do not deserve. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. What's the, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And we didn't ask for it. We certainly do not deserve it, but we just got it. He just gives it to us. He, God gives it to us. He gives us his forgiveness, his love, his righteousness, his truth, his, his Holy Spirit, the, the scriptures, his, his word. He gives us his, his church. God gives us himself. You get God, all of him, through Jesus and what he, what he accomplished on the cross. That's grace. I love verses 8 and 9. It's a great memory verse. If you're looking for something to have in your back pocket or bury in your heart for, for a time of need, this is a perfect one because it sums up the essence of Christianity and salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Again, we're saved by grace. And, and when the Bible uses the language of grace, when it talks about grace, it's talking about Jesus' works what Jesus did for us on our behalf. When the Bible says works, when it, when it uses that language of works, it's, it's talking about our works, what we do. So, so what Paul's saying is we're not saved by what we do or who we are. We're not saved by our performance. We're saved by, by Jesus and who he is and what he's done. That's grace. Grace is Jesus's works on our behalf. We're saved by grace, amen? By grace. And finally, the last question 
And we'll wrap up with this, but saved for what? Saved for what? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He's working in us. He's working on us. He's going to work through us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. There's our identity. Don't forget that. You are in Christ. That's who you are. And for what? For what? For good works. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, not walk, that we should walk in them. And right now, some of you who've been paying close attention, you're like, wait, works? What? You said grace, not works, right? No works. No works. It's, it's, it's grace. Well, here's the thing. You, you, the key is to get the works in the right order, okay? Jesus' works save us. He works in us as his workmanship, okay? He works on us. He works through us as an act of worship. So our works are the result of his works. Unlike religion or, or spirituality or, or morality that, that, that says, um, here are your works, they will save you. Here's your performance. If you do X, Y, and Z to the best of your ability, then maybe, just maybe, you might get in, you might be saved, you might go to heaven. No, no, Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone saves us. You're saved by, by his works. Again, he works in you, he works on you, then he works through you as an act of, of worship. And, and so we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to our works. Does that make sense? We're not saved by our works, we're saved to our works. In other words, they're not the root of our faith, they're the fruit of our faith. They're the evidence that we do, in fact, believe in the one true God. They're not a, a, uh, what brings us into a relationship with God, they're what comes out of someone who's in a relationship with God. And, and what are these good works? What, what do they look like? It's, it's simple, really. It's, it's being generous. It's being compassionate. It's loving your neighbor. It's, the, it's these simple things. These are good works. And here's the thing about that. Here's the, 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 the truth. God doesn't need our works. God does not need our works, but our neighbors do. Our neighbors do. God, God doesn't need school supplies, but the kid without a dad does. God doesn't need groceries, but the single mom does. God doesn't need you to run an honorable business or, or to be a stand-up guy, but your neighbors do. God doesn't need us to love our neighbors. Our neighbors do. Our neighbors need that. And so the good works that he's prepared for us are not things that God needs. God can take care of himself, I assure you of that. They're things that our neighbors need. And in loving our neighbors, it's our way of, of showing the love and the amazing grace that, that Jesus showed us when he went to the cross. And we, we do not do that so that God would love us, but because he already has. We, we don't do that so that we would come into a right relationship with, with God, but because we already are. We don't do these things so that he would be pleased with us, but because in Christ, he already is. He already is, and so that frees us up to love and to serve people by the grace of God. You've been saved. By his grace, you've been, you've been saved if you are in Christ Jesus. If you would, um, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and pray with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of response and, and communion. But God, thank you that you are, you are such a good God.
Thank you for your word, for, for the powerful scripture we've read today, God, for the truth that we are saved by grace, that there's nothing we had to do to, to, to earn it, God, that we couldn't even if we tried, but, but you give it to us as a free gift, God. And, and I thank you for the opportunity for, for um, some people here in this room, Lord, who maybe uh, hear that message and, and uh, receive that grace for the first time. God, for those of us who, who are Christians, Lord, help us to, to continue to, to try and grow, to strive to live by your spirit, God, and, and to realize that we're saved by these things, but we're saved for something, and that's, God, to represent you here on earth, to, to, to do good works, to love people the way you love us. I pray these things in, in Jesus' name. As I transition to a, to a time of, of communion, um, <clears throat> 